Hello, and welcome to From the Rookery End. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a podcast, and this is probably how we're going to do it for the next, rest of the season. Why would we stand and pick apart a season that's already ended? <laughs> that's the question we ask ourselves, at least. We, you know, we, we're going to see what we're going to do. We want to look at some, some bigger, wider ideas that Watford need to be addressing and what we would like to see as football fans. And so for the rest of this season, that's basically what we're going to do with these podcasts. And tonight is the start. Uh, it is the start of what we think are the next steps for Watford, things they need to sort out. I'm joined by Jason. Good evening. And of course by Michael. Hello, Jason. Hello, John. <laughs> and Mike, you went to Coventry um, on, on Monday. Hesitantly at all? Or, or, or what? Your initial plans to go there? Um, there's a lot of posturings sort of making out that it was, oh, yeah, I don't know really why I'm doing this, yada, yada, yada. I think everyone said the said the same. But the reality is, if Watford are playing, I want to be there, really. If they're going to be terrible, I want to see it firsthand. So, uh, yeah, tootled up the uh, the M6 on Monday. Pretty uh, dreadful weather on the way there, which is probably a metaphor for... Uh, for Watford season, which wasn't a metaphor for Watford season, was the sun came out um, and the game, the game was played in largely decent, uh, decent weather. So look, I'd, I'd always rather be um, at a game than not. But there was definitely a sense of we're here because this is what we do as supporters, as opposed to we're here with a view to to perhaps sort of kickstarting a an unexpected and unlikely charge into the into the playoffs. It was very much a sort of end of season atmosphere, I'd, I'd suggest, in the away end at the uh, CBS Arena, as it's known now. That's what we're calling it these days. And, and in terms of the performance, a great first half, a decent start to the second half, and then the goal goes in and the fragile, delicate side of this Watford squad screams out at us. You've got to give Coventry credit, actually. In that first half, they, they manoeuvred themselves into some decent um, positions. They had lots of shots on goal, um, weren't able to hit the target and had they had their shooting and heading boots on I think it would have been a very very different story a lot earlier in the in the game but what Watford did incredibly well was was stayed in the game they stayed composed they showed a bit of um, poise and they broke in incredibly well and whilst Cov probably had the lion's share of the chances in that first half Watford took their chances they were absolutely clinical with theirs, and it was the you know it's the the triumvirate of quality, if you like. Uh, Pedro with the with the first with a lovely finish, uh, and with the second it was Ismail Assar setting up Imran Luza who scored at the second attempt. And you would probably say those were the three players that set Watford apart from teams in the in the Championship. So they were really clinical, which we just haven't seen them do at all this season. So that was that was really pleasing. Two two nice goals and. Yeah, it felt like our quality was showing for a change. And then, like you say, the, the, the second half came out and it was, we looked, if anything, we looked a lot more confident. There was yeah. that, that swagger was there. Um, Watford were very, very much on the front foot, um, uh, completely in the ascendancy to the point where it almost felt inevitable that we were going to score a, score a third. The LAs were coming out. Um, the sexy football chants were, were coming out. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if they were a bit tongue-in-cheek or not, but I assume, I assume so. But Watford were playing really, really nice stuff, and it did feel like a third goal was, was inevitable. We were sort of almost waiting for that, that release of the third goal, and, and then we could relax and, and celebrate the away win. But then, yes, there was the... Uh, it has to go down as a, a mistake from Hamer in goal, doesn't it? Sort of shepherding the goal into that bottom left-hand corner instead of diving for it. He was obviously completely got it got his positioning wrong um and instead of going for you know what's to, it looked like he should have got there to me if he if he'd have dived it was a decent curling effort but he should have it's a massive mistake. he should have covered it a bit better that's all he should have saved it he should have yeah <laughs> having been around Eli this last year him, him being a new goalkeeper <laughs> in Sunday league I picked up a couple of things and you just don't let anything go unless you are 100% but you get that because he hasn't played games of football and then, unfortunately, it's like you say, John, as much as I said it felt inevitable that we were going to score a third, as soon as Kov scored their first, it was inevitable that, that they would go on to get a second and would, would certainly put us under a lot of pressure. And we were, we were hanging on. And in the end, we were, we were grateful. I mean, grateful for a point. We were lucky to get away with a point, probably. As much as the first half and, and the first part of the second half were, were enjoyable because it sort of showed the Watford that we thought we might see this season, that sort of after the first goal went in, it was actually quite difficult to watch because it's the, all the familiar frailties just come to light, and you just see it happening in front of you in it, almost like in slow motion. And it's they're just so fragile, they're so brittle. There's there's no belief in themselves or each each other, and it's just 
you can just see a complete collapse. It's almost like an aftershock of a of an earthquake finishing off a, a building that's been been damaged. It's it, it's just in, inevitable, and it, it's actually really really sad to see. And I was reacting after the, uh, in, in my head after the, the game on Friday at Huddersfield when it was you know the crowd was so unhappy and the the, fan, the players were so unhappy and the team was so unhappy. everyone was so unhappy. That was really sad. To see, and I thought it's it was sad to see on on Monday as well, just how quickly really they they collapse, and that that fragility, that lack of confidence, is actually quite a hard thing to to see. Still glad I went though. <laughs> of course, of course, we've still got a few games left to go. Jason, did you watch the game? I watched most of it. I I felt that my watching it might might jinx the team towards the end, so I went out for a run instead. <laughs> Good to see um, uh, Ryan Andrews on the on the pitch though, wasn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely, and obviously uh, son of, a, of a, another football Watford player, obviously playing in a very different position to his, his dad, Wayne Andrews. Yeah, and he looked like he had a he had a decent game, didn't he? And, and he can claim that we were still winning when he when he went off and he got subbed <laughs> off as well. To me, it felt like the right substitution to make at the time. You know, the first game, the, the the first Coventry goal really put us up against it. So you probably to take the, the young player making his debut out of that situation isn't a bad call, I don't think. Guess who was sat in directly in front of me in the away end at Coventry. Was it was it Wayne, Wayne Andrews? It was Wayne Andrews. And <laughs> he the you could just see his entire body relax when when his son got subbed off. Not <laughs> not not that, just because it was just like oh right, I don't need to it was it was it was beautiful to behold, actually. Just sort of what a great feeling it must have been to see your lad. You know, obviously Wayne Andrews played for for Watford, and to see your your, your son make his debut in in what at that stage was a was a decent um, the performance must have been absolutely uh, magical. And it was it was really nice just to sort of be in the periphery of of, it, of him sharing that. Nice to see the youngsters get opportunities. We have given a few youngsters the odd chance from time to time, haven't we? Over the last sort of couple of seasons where opportunities have arisen not always easy these days when for teams like us can I say that um that aren't in the upper echelons that those teams that are allowed to cherry pick youngsters from academies for minimal fees I think it's probably getting harder and harder to bring these good youngsters through um because if you do and they're any good they're going to get cherry picked anyway if they if you're putting them in are they good enough compared to the, the players that you've got in your squad? Again, for a team like that, uh, like us that has so-called great players and with loftier ambitions, are they going to get the chances? So yeah, good, good to see him get the chance. So we've still got these games to go. Bristol City on the weekend, and we'll see how that one goes. Um, but let's go back to, the, to this podcast. Basically, we've talked for years, months. A long time about what needs changing, what's wrong at this club, wasn't quite right. And as we know, at that Huddersfield game, it felt like everything was absolutely wrong for everybody. And we've talked a lot about changing the culture of the club. And I'm not, you know, it's it's great to say that. And I've thought about this quite a lot. And I found it quite hard to figure out what on earth we need to sort out. What was it that you would do to change the culture? And the simple answer is everything. Uh, and we, we've got three main topics we're going to talk about today. Firstly, the footballing side of things. Then we've got about the players. And then, of course, we've also got the fans. Before we move on, John, I think it is important to, to just to not labour that point, but just to drill that point home, because I know you weren't being flippant when you say it, but we, we're to change the culture, they do need to change everything. And that is a big, big, big job. And that is a big, big, big job that they're going to have to have some appetite for. And it's, I think, as we need to recognise that, that there is... So much needs changing. You spoke about, you know, the the team capitulating on 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 Monday. What was worse was just the general malaise that has, has set in, like a like a a, a, a fog in, in old London town across across Vicarage Road. It is there and it is not shifting anytime soon without concerted effort across a number of different sort of areas of the football club. Almost everything needs changing, and I think we 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 need to drill that point home. We need to sort of draw this line in the sand to recognise that we've we may have to go back further still for this to be fixed entirely. But this is going to be potentially a, a long road because, like you say, John, almost everything needs to be fixed if that if that culture is going to be going to be improved. 
Yeah, and it is possible to do things quickly. Any change is possible, but it takes something quite dramatic and quite magnificent uh, for it to change quickly. So this is a long game we are talking about. Let's start with the footballing side of things, Jason. And for me, it really starts with the manager. And the problem that we've had is we've had managers go from harsh to happy to one style to the next style to what, you know, we flip-flopped, haven't we, with these with these managers. And it really comes down to... I was going to say flip-flopped or knee-jerks. Maybe their knees are jerking wearing flip-flops. Or just flop-flopped. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes down to this, this how they pick these managers. It's, it's hard to know. And maybe we'll find out when fans speak to Gino in the summer. But they need to get this right. And it's quite interesting that over the last 24 hours, the rumour mill has been turning. And Francesco Farioli, 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 as most of the fans will end up saying, if he is appointed... These these discussions these these names are starting to come up. Jason, it it feels like he's the sort of manager that they would normally get. Does it actually feel like the manager they normally get a thirty four year old Italian? It does, I guess, because it's someone that perhaps has not been on many people's radars. That that feels like a Pozzo appointment, doesn't it? And I say Pozzo appointment, but whose appointment is it? And that I think for me is the key. Um, and we're talking about the footballing side of things, so no doubt we're going to be talking about um, Manga and Costa. And for me, you need a consistency of decision-making. So we're talking about picking a manager that if he changes, or from the previous manager, maybe not in this case, but for, for future changes, the, this so-called model where it's able to be a smooth transition, and that should be because you've got a manager that suits the players you've got to suit the style of play so if you want to have a manager and a players the players and a style of play that are all aligned then it makes sense to me to let the football people at the club make all of those decisions on who those people should be and generally what the style of football is going to be yeah I mean it's it's important that if Ben Manga is going to have the position and the role as well as Helen Acosta as chief scout and the team I'm sure they've brought in around them you know, they have been brought in for a reason. And I do feel that Gino probably has figured out that whatever he was doing beforehand had come to its its end. And they needed to do something to really revitalise the recruitment process at Watford. And that's going to take time to, to see out. You could sort of see bits of it happening in January, but they've only been around a couple of weeks before that happened. But the manager has to be, for me, linked and almost chosen by Ben and his team. Do you think that's the right way to go about it, Mike? Look, G- Gino's top dog, and he's going to have um, probably sign off on most things. It's just just the way he is. But the, but as Jason, you were alluding to there, there does need to be like a delineation. He needs to be sitting there at the top, overseeing everything, making sure he's happy. Everyone can report into him. That's that's fine. But when it comes to the the head coach or the manager, as Jason says. It needs to be a manager who, who, I mean, they need to understand how this manager wants to play football and therefore you need to build a team that can deliver that for him. Um, And when that manager is brought in and that team hopefully is brought in, then he needs to be given time to deliver on that that vision and that that approach. It's not just that. They all need to be given time as a team to develop it, to learn from it and to make it better. Because that's my always been my massive you know, problem with these changing of managers is actually are the problems of the club being kept in the club? Are they just being brushed aside or forgotten about because the next man's coming in? Because you have to learn from your problems. You have to learn from your mistakes. And like you say, the, the, the letting them be who they want to be is fine. I think Gino might argue that he's worked in football for a very long time. So he's a football man. Yeah, well, I would argue that he's getting it. He's getting it wrong on far too regular a, a basis, and the 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 proof of that is is in front of our eyes week in week out for the last um, three out of the last four seasons. The it hasn't been right. They've had to change the head coach um, a multitude of times uh, each season. We're on our, on our third head coach um, this season. We've had to put out a a statement today dispelling rumours that we were going to move on to our fourth head coach of the season with five games to go and you know the the chaos speaks for itself it's it's ludicrous and what it speaks to is a lack of a defined um plan or a, or approach like you say John we've gone from this characteristic to that characteristic from this style to that style 
and it's reactive as opposed to having any sort of plan, any sort of clear idea or end game or, or destination for the club. And when that happens, you get what we've seen is a, a team which doesn't know where it's, whether it's coming or going. The results are patchy at best um, and the reputation of the, of, the, of the club continues to slide and, and, and fans sort of start to get less and less interested because what are they turning up to watch is the, is the question. We get, we, we, at the moment, we're, watching the, we're turning up to watch the badge. We're watching because it's Watford. We're not watching because it's a team we identify with. We're not watching because it's a team that we think we can roar on to greater heights as the season moves on. We're going out of, out of duty at the moment. And that's not really how it, how it should be. So there needs to be a focus and a plan and they need to, they need to stick to it. And there's been precious little evidence of that um, since. And Geordie's made this point before. He, he suspects that we got burnt a little bit with with Marco Silva when we we tried to build a team for him. And for for that little period of time, it was really working. And then, of course, he um, fluttered his eyebrows, eyelashes, fluttered your eyebrows, fluttered his. <laughs> I can tell how good I was at flirting. Um, <laughs> fluttered his eyelashes elsewhere and disappeared off um, to, to to Everton at the first chance. And they probably felt a little bit hard done by. And ever since then, it's been but sort that, of... But that, sorry to, to jump in there, Mike, but that is the whole, of, of all the years we've had the Potsos, that's their one chance to show that this smooth transition from one manager to another, that that, that works. Let's be honest, they didn't do too bad with getting Javi Grathu in because he did a, a decent job um, and lasted longer than any of the others, I think. But yeah, I mean, that, that was the chance to show that the transition could be smooth and ultimately sort of so many years down the line it's it's gone wrong jason do you think there was there was a continuation of style between let's say let's say from 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 kike to walter to to marco to harry was, was there any sort of continuation in approach and footballing style between those four i, any don't, at all? I don't think so. i think kike was very much solid but with the with the added bonus that people weren't prepared for what Dini and Igalo were, were able to unleash at them. But were they were they massively diff- different though? Like we've had for the last few years, last few seasons, adaptions. I, I think there was there were there were slight adaptions, weren't there? And I think it was probably thinking that we could try and be a bit more progressive as we started to establish ourselves. So pretty simple. There's I think with the Pozzo era, there's pre and post Javi Grathia. And I think post Havi, that's when they started floundering around. That's mm. when they started flailing. That's when the, the wheels came off. And that's when they should have started learning. Gino should have started learning and recognising what went wrong in the relegation season, which is still, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually. We probably still should have stayed up that year. We had ample opportunities to, to stay up, but, but didn't. Probably down to a, a, a host of, of, of mistakes at the, at the top again. So ever since Javi Grathia left, which feels like a, an, an eternity uh, ago, that's when we've, we've started this really flitting around, this sort of hastened Jason, uh, taking one from the top, one from the middle, one from the bottom, and, and, and hoping one of them's going to work. And in all that time, we've talked about Friday, we've talked about Monday, they haven't learned, they haven't fixed it, because here we are, we're going to end up probably with the worst finish of the Pozzo era. It's a, it's a valid question, John. Did there, was there ever, ever any sign of sort of progression? And I think there was. But then Javi went, and since then, it's been an absolute catastrophe. Because where I was leading to, for you know, Jason, do you think if you had to pick a long-term head coach or having a fixed footballing style that was clearly defined, that was carried through several head coaches, hopefully not three or more per season. Which one would you prefer to see a consistent Watford way of doing and way of playing football or a head coach, long-term head coach? At this point, I think I want a long-term head coach. I want us to try and to try and build something. And, I mean, there's no reason to, to think we can, that that in itself, we can adopt a, a style. And, yeah, whoever whoever we pick moving forward, if we're going to back him, then, I mean, it's been said enough times already, but we need to we need to back him with the right players for the style that he wants to play. Can I just say, um, I hate that on. phrase, back him. Why him? 
Why not all of you? Why is it one? Why is he, Why are they left on their own? Gino, back yourself. Gino, back Ben. Gino, back them, whoever you pick. It's it's ridiculous that it is said that way. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. And it's, it's, a, it's a valid point. But, and I suppose, yeah, that 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 that, that is a good point, isn't it? Because um, if he does what we are suggesting he should do in terms of let the footballing people, not counting Gino in that, let the footballing people make the decisions, it's then about him backing them and not just the manager that we think he's picking or a part of the uh, selection process each time and then going all knee-jerk and getting rid of them at the first sign of potential failure. Back to the original question on, and sort of around the, the footballing style. I think, yeah, if you've got a manager with a preferred style, back in with the players as well. And how we go about that this summer, if we're already looking at a, a potential new manager now, then again, hopefully, that's Manga and Costa having identified... A talent, he will have a certain way of playing. Now, do they know which players are going to form the spine of the team, the basis of the team, who we're building the team around for next season already, and who's going to go? Who are they going to have to get rid of because we can't afford to keep them, etc.? So, they so if they know the players that are there, does that manager or will that manager be able to build his style around those players and move forward, hit the ground running when they come in in the summer? and sort of build up that style of play and, and, and allow them to progress as Watford manager slash head coach over the course of the season. Mike, we are moving on to our second point here. We you know the footballing style, you know, if that's right, it leads into the players recruitment and, and how players are treated. You know, we're, we're trying to probably say to Gino and to, to everyone there, you need to produce a, an adaptable squad that could, Play your style, but make some changes because it's such an all-well-rounded sort of a, a thing. But the transfer policy, well, in what way does it need readdressing? Because I don't think it's changed. It's Gina wanting to find a young player to shine them and to sell them. And, and that's not really ever going to change. Is there, is there a certain other part of this transfer policy in making up this squad that we need to, you know, we need to change? You're, you're absolutely right to put to point that out, John. T- player trading will always be absolutely vital for for Watford. Getting, yeah, it always has been. Yeah, it always has been and always will be due to the size and just everything. All the all the the environment that Watford are operating in, the confines that that being a club the size of Watford have, the restrictions mean that they will always be looking to buy a player and to move him on for 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 big money. That is that is a, an, an integral integral part of it. But I think. Listening to you chaps talking then about about having a squad that is any manager or head coach can come in and utilise, I think potentially that is has been a failing of uh, of Watford's transfer policy. Because my take on it is that Gino looks, he does sort of like a depth chart, and he says, right, we've got two left backs, two right backs, four centre backs, some midfielders, and some strikers. Boom, we've got a squad, we've got a team. We know that that isn't how football works. Just because you've got the requisite players in the requisite positions doesn't mean that they're going to go out there and, and, and play as a, as a team, as a, as a unit, as a cohesive um, performing outfit. And potentially that's what his MO has been, just listening to sort of playing devil's advocate. If you bring in a sort of identikit, sort of generic set of players of a what are perceived to be a certain standard in every position, then then maybe a head coach should be able to mould them into whatever style he sees fit. So that's perhaps been incredibly reductive and giving perhaps Gino more credit than um, than it than is due. Um, but what we what we have to avoid is having absolutely ludicrous signings like Bayo. Uh, Manai and what Akoye, who looks increasingly now there's some confusion as to whether he was injured or not at the moment, which is why he's not on the on the bench um, even when when Backman's out suspended. But he's obviously been a, a a dud signing for that that amount of money. We cannot have signings like that anymore. They need to be cut out entirely. Now there are theories as to why these players are being bought in and. Uh, whether it's for nefarious reasons or to benefit particular individuals or whatever, whatever it is, 
whatever the reason that these players that are coming in for relatively big sums and then disappearing again or coming in for big sums and immediately being clear that they're not up to it, that has got to stop. That is a layer of fat around our transfer dealings, around our squad, that a team in the championship who is going to have to cut its cloth accordingly simply cannot afford to do. So for whatever the reason, these odd, peculiar, potentially dodgy, but ultimately, from a playing point of view, useless signings are happening, that needs to be cut out if the, the focus is to deliver a team that is, has the potential to be um, competitive in the championship, maybe even to get promoted. There can be no space for your Bayos, your Manais, Akoyes, and, and, and that sort of ilk. Whatever the reason they ended up at the club at the first place, cut it out. There's no reason for it. So and you presume, and you presume that with Ben and the team that have been brought in, you know it, it, that is partly trying to get away from that. Almost, almost like Gino fell into that trap of trying to cut costs and to, you know, not spend silly amounts of money. But for me, it's, it, it, a, it goes back to another thing, John. For that's for up to Gino. Yeah. It is, to, and, and, and it's, to alter, it's a, that, alter that approach, to, whether it's giving someone else responsibility or whether it's him making the decision himself. It is a decision, like the head coach, that will ultimately be down to him. We talk about changing the entirety of the culture. These are all the building blocks that he has to do to ensure it, it, it happens. And giving someone else responsibility or cutting someone else out of the loop, as it may in fact be, is down to him. And that is a another action point for the owner of Watford Football Club. Because I really want Ben Manga and that team to be the champions for Watford because we are still part of this Pozzo network, which Gino is clearly, you know, his it's his thing. He developed it and he's, he's you know, that's, that's his thing, his baby in many ways, not only just the football clubs themselves. You know, if you want someone like Ben to, to sit there and Gino go, right, I found this great player. He's a left back. You'll love him. We're buying him. You go, well, no, no, we need this sort of left back, not that sort of left back. And you really want someone to be in that conversation to, to, to put your foot forward and say, or put your foot down to say, no, this is the type of player that we need for left back, not just a left back, which is what it feels like at least. There needs to be a psychological profiling of these of these yeah. That sounds a little bit um, no? over, over the top, but they need to be the right fit for the football club and they need to be the right fit for every other part of the team. So it's okay having a quiet left back if you've got a noisy centre back potentially. You can't have four quiet defenders or, or four quiet midfielders. There has to be a deeper dive into the characteristics of the players that are coming in so that when they do set foot on the pitch, they aren't what we've seen for the last couple of seasons, which is just a collection of supposedly talented footballers. They come together like a jigsaw. You get the pieces out of the box, they slot together and the picture becomes clear because that just, that they failed in that regard almost completely. Every, every week, give or take a, a couple of performances this season, they've looked like 11 individuals who, with no belief in each other, no idea of how to raise each other up, no, no leadership, no, um, n- none of those really important bits of glue that just keep a, a team together. And that, that, that is the third part of the, the transfer thing that needs to change, as you say, John. They need to be looking at the, at the people they're signing. They need to be, um, you know, the calibre of what they bring, not just with, with, when they've got their boots on, but what they like in the training ground, what they like in the dressing room, what they like with, with bringing youngsters through, what they like about supporting others when they're going through a, a tough time and all that sort of stuff. Because we, tell me the players who are, who are delivering in, in, in that regard at, at the football club at the moment. There are, there, are, there are good people there, I'm sure, but there are no... You know, mentors, if you like. There's no, um, there's no captains. There's no lieutenants. They're all there, and it's just that needs to be looked at. And it's not Gino's job to do to do that on on players. It needs to be someone, whether it's Ben Manger and, and Costa, who, who you'd assume is spearheading the, um, the the player recruitment. That has to be a massive part of their remit, and that can't be overridden by Gino Pozzo for whatever reason. 
I've heard this guy's good and if we bring him in, then we might be able to get someone else better from that club in a, in a year's time. None of that nonsense. The players have to be identified and brought in for the right reasons and that is they are talented enough and they have the right characteristics to, to, to build with the others to, to somehow rebuild this, this football team and this, and this club. We need to. Uh, we got. I think the what we need and what we the players and what's wrong with the squad. That's another podcast we'll do before the end of the season. Don't worry about that. But you're right in terms of the recruitment. You know, Gino needs Ben to do his job, as we've said. He needs to make sure that the the rubbish transfers are gone. Um, and also, I suppose he needs to make sure those players feel a bit of love, don't they, Mike? Yeah, and I, I think it's about the. It just seems to be that there's just a feeling of discontent around the place, um, and it's just about how everyone is is treated. It, it, you want people to come to Watford and want to perform for Watford, whether you're in the back office, whether you're a scout, whether you're part of the coaching team, whether you're a, a kit man or kit lady, um, whether you're in the canteen, whether you're the player, whether you're a player. You need to feel like you're part of something that that means something you're part of something that's headed in the right direction and you're part of something that the person at the very very top cares about and that he cares about about you and look I can't say that that isn't the case because I don't work at Watford Football Club it may have not have it may have escaped your attention I am not a first team footballer and potentially <laughs> potentially never will be it, um, you were so close, Mike. You were so, so close. close. Yeah, I, if it wasn't so... for a tragic lack of talent. Yeah, tragic <laughs> lack of talent. Application and a completely the wrong sort of attitude. Actually, I'm surprised I didn't get signed this season, actually. You know <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not there. I'm not at, at Vicarage Road or the train. But you, you just sense, you just pick up from what you read, what you hear, what you see, and what, just what you absorb just being around the football club, that it's a battle for people at Watford Football Club at the moment. And... That comes from the top. And you'd have thought that's quite an easy thing to change, really. I mean, it, I, I, let's go on to, like you say, that love of being there and wanting to be there. I've worked at several different businesses and companies and you know where you just don't feel like you want to be there. And if you do want to be there, it's just dramatically different. And I suppose I've, I've the next moves again quite nicely uh, onto our next point about fans um, and yeah we will get onto this meeting with Gino but the one thing I find a little bit hard from my point of view is this season is seeing Watford through Eli my nine-year-old son so he has had experiences of meeting pretty much every single Watford player we had an amazing day with Arlo um, at the training ground in the summer where we met the picture taken with every single player he felt a connection with those players the parents like I was there felt it the same I'm not saying I was quite good you know like crazy when I saw Jab Pedro as Eli and Arlo were but it was such I I did feel a, a connection through him to that club and for me when you look out at what the players do and how do they connect with the normal adults let's say the majority of the audience they don't really do that much at all. Um, they come and clap and they throw their shirts into the crowd, which is maybe part of just what is modern day football. But we need to do something where they understand us and we understand them, not in just those situations that we had on Friday, where there were banners saying it's the player's fault. The booing, the jeering, the everything that was there, that seems to be the only time they get to have some sort of really good, good's the wrong word, <laughs> um, high level of connection with, with the players in a negative way. And of course, we had a lot, whole season where things were going great and they didn't have anybody there to share that with. So there's a, there's a big part of that, but this commitment might to be from the club for this meeting with Gina, which we've talked about before, which is out there now and you know who's working on it and we're working with a lot of other people to to make this a meaningful meeting but that's only the first meeting isn't it really of what what needs to happen so fans feel a you know a connection 
in terms of the players and the, and and how you get a connection with the, the with the players and the supporters, that's that's pretty simple. You're right Wing to point games. out that, that yeah, you're right to point out that the next generation at Watford have a great experience. They get to meet players. They get behind the scenes as junior hornets. And as we spoke on Friday, there was um, James Morris came and, and grabbed Yasser Spreer because there was a little lad who wanted a picture with him, and that that made his day. And that means that he will love Watford. He does have that connection. It's he will go home grinning from ear to ear because a, a Watford player went and got another Watford player so he could have a photo with him. It's that connection is is real and it's important and it's and, and it's and it's worth highlighting. But for for the the grown ups, if you like, the generation who go under their own steam and the ones who invest the money and who have have watched Watford for 10, 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, 50 upwards years. All they need is a team that looks like it's put together properly and is and is giving their all on the pitch, winning the occasional game. That is pretty much all it needs for for Watford supporters to be to be happy. So it, that's why I was so sad on Friday that the, it just came apart at the at, at the seams. They just need to be just being competent and giving your all is probably over the piece in, in, in enough. Uh, and we're we're not even there yet. Jason, we sit near. John, old John as we call him, because I'm younger than him at <laughs> yeah. least. And he just loves a player that runs a lot, doesn't he? There is, There are some very simple things, aren't there, that the majority of Watford fans, not the chatting classes and that sort of stuff and the, the Twitter arty, it, there is just some very simple things that the players need to show and just win some games of football. Isn't that just it, Jase? Uh, I think so, yeah. Watford, Watford fans love a trier, don't they? Um, and we, we <laughs> Andy Vyman. Before... Love Andy Vyman, <laughs> you old John. He loved him. Scott, I, I was going to nominate Scott Fitzgerald because okay, he, he ran yeah. a lot. <laughs> ran off, chased down so many goalies in his uh, in his Watford career. Um, and and <laughs> yeah, I sort of joke about that, but fans did love him, didn't they? For that, Just for that very reason. And and yeah, you want you, you love the skillful players as well. And we've been blessed with some skillful talent over, over recent years. But you do want to see effort. You do want to see attitude. You do want to see commitment. And, and no matter how skillful you are, if you look like you're not trying, if things are getting you down on the pitch, then you're sure as hell you're going to be getting the fans down as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's for some fans, that's the problem they have with Ishmael Asar, um, because he's not running after everything, every second of the day, where they think that's what he should do. But we'll leave that alone for now. Um, but Mike, you know, again, winning games, showing energy, showing commitment on the pitch, that, that's part of it. But it's also, for a lot of fans, it is about the visibility, let's say, of Gino and of, well, most of the senior management. Uh, my views are still made, uh, are the same. I still think that when you're put in front of people at the top, you're probably going to get answers that you expect. So I think, I, I think that is the case. I think it's important to, to caveat that. But what is important is at least there is the attempt to facilitate um, some conversation or some access to to people at the at, at the top of the club for supporters, just so they can just hear from them occasionally, even if they're not groundbreaking answers that that provide every sort of possible solution and and and, and mean everyone can sleep safely at night, uh, safely sleep um, soundly at, at at night. I don't think you're necessarily going to get that due to the nature of of football, but I just. <laughs> There's just that lack of confidence in the direction of the of the football club. We're seeing it go so badly wrong on the pitch. We've spoken about that sort of intangible feel that things aren't quite right behind the scenes. It just feels like people are are unhappy, and then we don't hear really in any meaningful way from any, from anyone in a in a position of power. You know, we talked about the, the the meetings that are that are going to be coming coming up. They they need to be in place. It's an EFL regulation, and uh, and one way or the other, we'll we'll get there to make sure that those those happen. And I'm sure that that Watford will put up the the appropriate people to to do it. But that is a small step. Where the bar is not so much low as just been it's on the floor at the moment, which in in some ways is bad because it shouldn't have got got this bad where people are so fans are so almost dismissive of it when when the, when the idea is floated it's sort of like well a bit late now isn't it or it'll just be like it was before or they'll, they'll just say this they'll just say that that has that has developed that sort of negative approach has, has developed and been allowed to sort of fester because there hasn't been there's just been that vacuum there hasn't been a hasn't been communication in there to to sort it 
So by doing it, that is at least a step in the right direction. What's really, really important is that it is maintained, that it is regular and, and supporters start hearing a little bit more, seeing the whites of the eyes, hearing the actual voices of the people who are there um, sort of signing the checks, signing the contracts, making the decisions. At least we can hear from them. And I think that just gives people at least a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Just It, it makes them human. It, it, yeah. it provides some, some sort of connection, which is obviously missing... For so many, you win games and you can forgive that. We're, we're, we're a simple um, bunch of football supporters. If, if your team's winning, you're going to forgive most things. But when your team's not, you need other stuff to sort of cling on to and to, to make your um, supporting life good. So I think it's about, we need to know, need to hear from the people that are guiding the ship at the moment. We need to feel safe we need to feel confident that if they know they're choppy waters they at least they're they're planning how to get through the choppy waters or at least they recognize their choppy waters because at the moment we're not hearing anything um this when i say we it's the the royal we and i think that's something that's quite easy to fix and initially i don't think it'll have a massive impact but over the months um you know three months six months a year two seasons three seasons hopefully you know in two in a year, two, three years, we're sitting here talking about it. And we've had, and there have been eight, nine, 10, 12 really good meetings and people know more about the people who are behind the scenes making the decisions. That can happen. That can happen in the future. That's all part of the long-term strategy. It's all the part of the, the long-term turnaround that, that, that needs to happen. But it need, needs to, to, to start now. And they need to take the sort of slightly bitter medicine that will, will come with it, which will be the... The, the sort of negativity that will surround it because it's it will feel to many like it's it's come too late but it can be done and it's a way of starting to bring people along for for a journey because i think it is going to be a journey one way or the other so we're not giving you a list of things to do watford um slash gino but let, let's talk about some of the things that we've done in in a in in retrospect by the way hopefully the the boys at wd18 did something very similar they did a five point plan they had five points let's see how many we've got <clears throat> so first we want a squad uh that has been uh put through a transfer policy which is more robust uh with no dodgy dealings and it definitely 100 percent has everything needed to be a functioning happy squad which we'll talk about again in another podcast. We also need to make sure that they're happy. We also make sure with this manager that the manager, whoever is coming in, firstly has been appointed in a different way to many of the managers that we've had. If it's done correctly, it will be what we desire, which is a long-term manager, a long-term person leading this squad of players that we are going to perfectly put into place. But they also need to be part of a wider system. They need to be part of whatever Ben Manga and his team are doing, whatever they've been brought in to do. They need to be part, this manager, of those decisions. And they need to be part of it on a continual basis. Not just that thing going on there with recruitment and that person's currently looking after what we chose. A complete system is needed. And also, along with that, a footballing style. One style that we know when, if a manager does need to be changed, that they can move from one to the next to the next with only adaptations rather than flip-flopping with knee-jerk reactions. Jason, is, is, is that going to be a, a good... You know, as long as they're working all those things, that's, that's going to be a good thing, isn't it, Jace? It feels... Yeah, it feels like a start, doesn't it? It feels like a start. Um, and by no means do we have all the answers. We're just, we're just three simple chaps, as Mike pointed out, <laughs> um, being football fans. And, and that's just what we sort of come up with when we've had to sort of put our knocked our heads together you put those in place and i think you've got a you've got a solid foundation to build on and then like you talk about adaptions in the playing style but you could you can make adaptions in the in the way the football club is managed the way it's run and if if things if you put that in place if things aren't quite working you can make little tweaks here and there and and move the club forward work on the recruitment the the recruitment has been has been poor from a from a playing point of view for for all the reasons that we we've outlined and we'll we'll go on to talk about again. But the recruitment has been so wide of the mark, it needs to be fixed and fixed quickly. Same when it comes to the to the head coach, they need to get their heads sorted as to what the hell they are doing with who's leading this football club. 
on when they from on three o'clock on a on a Saturday afternoon and in training. Who is the head coach and why is he the head coach? That needs to be that needs to be sorted. The people within the football club need to be shown a little bit of TLC. They need to understand. They need to feel appreciated. They need to feel like they are working for someone who cares about this football club and who is trying their damnedest to steer it in the right direction and is making every decision based on exactly that to move the club forward. Show the people that you care and you, the people will come along with you. Work on the communication. That that starting to be a little bit more transparent. Talk. Be visible. We know we're not going to hear earth-shattering revelations every time someone at the top table opens their mouth, but be visible. Give us some sort of um, connection. So there, there are things that I think we've, we've talked about that, that can be the start. I mean, you mentioned at the start, John, changing the, the culture is a massive job, and there are so many layers to those things that we've just whizzed through there that it's, it, it's not just a day, it's not just a week, it's not just a month, it's not just a year, it's probably not a, a, a season. It's, it's a whole big shift and to do it, it, it comes down to one, one question for me. If, if any of this is going to happen, any of it whatsoever, if we're going to see any meaningful change that means Watford change from a downward trajectory to an upward trajectory and a, become a club that we can look forward to, to supporting and watching again, it will only happen if Gino Pozzo recognises the masses and masses of recent mistakes that he's made. He has to understand that the the failures of the football team and then the associated failures of the football club in their in their myriad of, of of manifestations are down to decisions that have happened on his watch. He has to recognize that he has got it badly wrong in recent times it 's on his watch it 's down to him if we 're going to change we 're going to start changing the culture if we 're going to start changing the recruitment policy. If we're going to start getting it right when it comes to a head coach, if we're going to start lifting this gloom that currently sits over London, Colney and Vicarage Road Stadium, Gino Pozzo needs to hold himself accountable. He needs to recognise his role in, in everything that's gone wrong. And once you do that, you can start to fix it. You can start to build it. Watford fans will forgive quickly if you recognise your mistakes and you are seen to act on them. When it gets toxic, when it gets bad, is when it's the same old, same old. The same mistakes being made again and again. The same group of players just thrown together without any seemingly, um, uh, any seeming thought as to how they mesh together in terms of a unit. The same odd signings coming from left field and disappearing six months later with money disappearing out of the bank account. The same uh, three head coaches uh, a year. The same lack of... Um, uh, transparency or, or communication from, from top table. If that continues, then the downward trend will continue. Recognise you've got those things wrong and start to address them bit by bit because that's the only way you can do it. And then that, some, some trust, some faith, some hope and enjoyment will be restored. But none of that can happen. None of it. Unless Gino recognises his recent mistakes. If he doesn't do that, we are in deep, deep trouble. So Gino Pozzo, it's over to you. Sounds like when we have this meeting with him, we're going to have an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, football owners anonymous. He's have to sit around and sort of talk through all his problems with all the other owners who won't be Lawrence. Lawrence Pacini won't be one of those. Um, yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Mike. It, it does start as everything does. Every company does. It starts on the top, uh, and he certainly. Yeah, like I said, the meeting that the fans are having with Gino and Scott in July is just, it could be massive for him, massive for what happens next. But what happens next, Jason, is uh, Bristol City. Jason, what do you want from, from these last few games of the season? I know Mike and I have talked about it. What do you want from this this game against Bristol City and, and the ones that follow? We want those triers back, don't we? We want we want to see some effort, some commitment, some and and not no evidence of that sort of malaise that we've talked about, sort of being around the club. Um, I did notice earlier in the week that we could, if we lose by two goals at the weekend, we'll have a sort of perfect fourteen wins, draws, losses, and zero goal difference record. Um, so, but <laughs> so if we if if we do fail to win, then I'd be happy with a two 0 defeat. Well, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd, yeah, you just you just 
you just want to see something, don't you? You just want to see more than half of good football as well. Because I think just for the last, as long as I can remember, we've not put together more than 45 minutes decent performance. Even the one win that we've had in, in recent times was sort of clouded with a, a poor start to the second half and we really rode our luck against Birmingham and the result could have been very different on the night. So let's put in 90 minutes of solid performance. It almost feels like it... it, it doesn't matter really does it whether no. we win lose or draw and even if we win we're, we're way too off and and it's not going to give us any hope of getting into the playoffs and do we really want to be there if we do get there of course we do but yeah just just give us something to cheer on the day please boys easily done easily done but i, I, I would say everything we did see mike at coventry there were there, there is the distinct possibility of that um it just needs a few more things to to fall into place yeah, look, I'm, I'm with Jace. It, 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 we just need we just need a decent we just need a decent performance. Um, they've, we got glimpses of it at, at Coventry. There's nothing riding on it now, so perhaps the the pressure's off. Some of them potentially playing paying for a move, so perhaps we might see a bit of um, a bit of you know the handbrake off. Or but as Jason says, at, at this stage, all we're hoping for is to turn up at Vicarage Road and to see and to see a Watford Leven that goes out there and is. Is, is visibly giving it their all. I mean, just to go back to that, I don't think they're not trying. I definitely, I don't think foot, professional footballers don't try. I don't believe that, but they just haven't got the tools. They haven't got the the, the equipment, the belief, or the, the the mental capacity at the moment to to deliver. And somehow, I just hope they dig deep. They remember what it was like at, at Vicarage Road against Huddersfield on on Friday, and they do everything they can to start putting things right between. Between the, the the players and the and the Vicarage Road faithful, it's we have to take the first step on this road to recovery sooner rather than later. Um, let's hope that it can come sooner, and let's hope that it comes as soon as um, Saturday. And we've at least got something to cheer as this uh, as this wretched season winds down. I've also got a very big game on Saturday evening, haven't we, Michael? Oh yes, Hemelstor <laughs> in the uh, semi-finals of the uh, of the of the uh, NBL playoffs. Division One yeah. playoffs. Uh, last last home game of the season, they went the whole regular season uh, undefeated. Won every single game. They won two trophies. They've won the league. Now into the playoffs. Incredible effort from uh, from a local team. So yeah, we'll be disappearing straight from Vicarage Road to to the Storm Dome to see them take on the uh, the Reading Rockets. See if they can secure their place in the uh, in the end of season playoff final. Fingers crossed. Come on, the Storm. Yes. Uh, thank you very much, Jason. Uh, thank you. And of course, thank you, Michael. Cheers, lads. And if you're listening, Gino, hop to it, lad. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. And do tell your friends. Uh, and do follow us, of course, on all the socials at Watford Podcast. Uh, and come on, you all!